This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. The 2020 election spurred renewed interest in the mechanics behind America's process for electing a president, which is far more complicated than one candidate winning a majority of the votes. The outcome is determined by the Electoral College. One reader asked us about a proposal that has gained steam in other states to effectively bypass the Electoral College without changing the U.S. Constitution. We'll talk today with Tori Van Oot, who dug into the National Popular Vote Interstate compact for a story that ran recently. We had some slight technical issues with my audio here, which you may notice during our conversation. But first, let's hear from Brian Bernstein, who asked us this question. So my question is, why is Minnesota not part of the multi-state popular vote compact? And the reason I stumbled upon this question was I listened to The Daily, the New York Times with Michael Barbaro, and he had a guest named Jesse Wegman on, and Jesse is sort of an expert on the election, the Electoral College, and has some uh, pretty enlightening opinions on why it is no longer a fit for the nation, and it led me to ask my question. Well, Tori, thanks for joining us today. So let's sort of start right from the basics here. What is the Electoral College? There's a group called the Electoral College. Every four years, a temporary group of electors actually meets and each state sends its electors and they are the ones that decide who the president is. Most of these electors vote based on how individual states voted. Each state gets a certain number of electors based on its representation in Congress. So while we all go to the polls on election day, the process for deciding who that president is happens through this system called the Electoral College. Okay, interesting. So in Minnesota, how many electors do we have? So we have 10 electors here in Minnesota. Like I said, it's based on each state's representation in Congress. We have eight U.S. House members here in Minnesota, which is based on our population, and two U.S. senators, like all states do. So that's how we get to our 10 Electoral College votes. You need 270 Electoral College votes to win. There are 538 in all. So we're just a small percentage of that. And would we know these people? Or I mean, what an interesting role. I mean, who are these electors in Minnesota? You know, each state gets to decide their process. They're usually nominated by a political party. And you wouldn't necessarily recognize them. No. Okay. But in Minnesota, do they have to vote for at the Electoral College, whoever the state voted for in its popular vote? So there's no federal law that requires electors have to vote in a certain way. Most states do bind their electors to say, whatever the residents of that state decide, you have to stick with it. So in most cases, yes, the electors vote reflect the state. Some states um, actually split split their vote into different congressional districts. So one of their electors might vote one way, one the other, but it's also based on the popular vote in those states. But specifically to Minnesota. Minnesota does not require that its electors vote a certain way. Oh, interesting. But they pretty much always do, essentially. But they always do, yeah. Okay. So to the point of your story, we had Brian here asking us about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, the NPVIC, of course. So what is that? (laughs) I hadn't heard of that before I read this story, but this has actually already gained traction in a number of states around the country. um, But now some people would like to put more pressure on Minnesota. So what, what is that? 
Yeah, so it's a push to effectively switch to a national popular vote where whichever candidate won a majority of votes nationwide with the hundreds of millions of Americans, that person would become the president. We would do away effectively with the Electoral College. Now, to actually do away with the Electoral College, you'd need to amend the Constitution. That takes a super majority vote in Congress and ratification by a bunch of states. Instead, what these folks have come up with is a plan to get enough states to pledge to commit their electors to whoever wins the national popular vote. So if enough states sign on to this pledge, effectively, the national popular vote would be in place. And how far along is this pledge? So, so far, it's the equivalent of about 196 electoral college votes. So 15 states representing 196 electoral votes have signed on so far. Again, you need 270 electoral college votes to win. So we're looking at, you know, a number of states would still need to sign on to make this a reality. And so... It would be a little unusual for people if they're sort of familiar with our current process. The Minnesota may support the Democrat candidate for president, as it often has. But if a Republican won the national vote, Minnesota would actually be casting its electoral votes toward the Republican candidate, right? Is that basically the idea? Yeah, that could definitely happen under this scenario, right? So again, if the majority of Minnesotans wanted the Democrat to be president, but nationally, a Republican won the popular vote. Too bad. (laughs) If we signed on and this became a reality, our electoral votes would go for that Republican. But supporters of this proposal point out is that in a number of recent elections, the winner of the national popular vote did not win the electoral college. So already we do have a situation where, in some cases, a majority of Americans' will or preference is not actually reflected in the White House. So how might this sort of change the power dynamics of the presidential elections? Right now, because there's this math puzzle that candidates need to put together or to piece together enough states to get to that 270 magic number, almost every four years, it's the same handful of states that everybody focuses their attention on, right? Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, you know, some of these states that are swingy states that have a solid number of electoral votes that the candidates must win in order to hit that 270. On both sides, I mean, supporters of the Electoral College say it's a good thing that (laughs) candidates uh, have to pay attention to states in different parts of the country, right? And sometimes smaller states, sometimes different, more rural states. Supporters of the national popular vote say this gives too much power to people living in those states. A couple of tens of thousands of voters in a handful of states are essentially determining who the president is every four years versus the majority of Americans, you know, who might live in denser, more populous areas. Supporters say that switching to the national popular vote would pressure candidates to try to appeal to a majority of Americans, both in policy and in campaigning, and kind of change politics in that way. Senator Mary Kiffmeyer, who chairs the Senate Elections Committee here, she, she sort of pointed out that this would effectively give lots of power to places like New York and California and less power to sort of more rural Midwestern states, right? Exactly. And that's what opponents of this system say. You know, they say that we don't want 
kind of what the framers would have seen as a mob rule deciding our elections. And under a national popular vote, folks who maybe live in Iowa or other parts of the Midwest or Wyoming, which has three electoral college votes, uh, will be totally ignored. And that people in the coasts would have all of the power. You know, Mary Kefmeyer, who's a former Secretary of State and a Republican, argues that even folks in rural Minnesota <laughs> might, might feel a little left out of the process at this point. Mm-hmm. So it has already gotten, you said, about 196 equivalent electoral votes. So are there any states that have passed this that would be of any surprise to us? I mean, or is it largely the Californias and New Yorks? Are the, I mean, are, are, I'm assuming they've already signed on. Yes, it is largely large populous states and states that do tend to vote for Democrats that have enacted this so far. So California has signed on, smaller state Connecticut has signed on, Massachusetts, Maryland, New York, New Jersey. Uh, you can kind of see a pattern here. Mm-hmm. So does this have a chance in Minnesota? Not right now. You never say never, but the legislature here is politically divided. Republicans are in control in the Senate. Democrats are controlling the House with Republicans, including Senator Mary Kiffmeyer, as you mentioned, the elections chair oppose and a number of really pressing issues on the docket, including a state budget deficit. And we're not going to see a whole lot of action on this. Now, in two years, all 201 state legislative seats are up again. If it was a trifecta, a DFL trifecta of the legislature, who knows? It might look a little bit different, but right now it's tough sledding. Well, Tori, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate right. this uh, context and background. Thank you so much. Have a great day. As always, we want to hear your thoughts about what's working and what we can improve here at the podcast. Please send them to curious at startribune.com. In the coming weeks, look out for an episode that's a bit of an experiment. I went on a tour of Minneapolis's drinking water treatment facility with my tape recorder and microphone in tow. It's a pretty fascinating place, and there's a lot to learn about how our drinking water gets treated. Hopefully I can boil down that lengthy tour into something that's fun and quick and informative to listen to. If it works, maybe we can do more of those in the future. Remember to send in your questions to curious at startribune.com and bonus points if they are sent as audio recordings. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.